This is the Lunar Lab Podcast with Becca P. Estrelli and Maya Toll. Get the whole scoop from two friends in the trenches of conscious business as we try to balance our spirits and our spreadsheets without losing our minds. Join us for the sacred, raw, and very real lunacy. For show notes and extra tidbits from this episode, please visit thelunarlab.com. Hey, Becca, how are you doing with that balancing your spirit and your spreadsheet without losing your mind thing? (laughs) (laughs) What a great question. Oh, my gosh. Shall shall I save that for our quick fire questions later? That's a great, yeah, (laughs) that's a good one for sure. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Lunar Lab podcast. We're going to be talking today about breaking up with normal. Normal is this this place, this idea that, you know, is so ingrained in our consciousness that even when we think that we're not trying to be normal, on some deep level, often we're trying to conform and fit in. And so we're going to be talking about that today and how Becca and I have each had to turn our deepest personal traumas, wounds, issues into our superpower. And that's actually what makes what we do different from what anyone else does. And it also keeps us from being normal. Yeah. So what is normal anyways? (laughs) Right? Like, what is that? Like, I I remember because we have been texting about this and you're like, I want to talk about like, breaking up with normal and I knew what she meant and then my my gut reaction was to be like what does that even mean because I've just been doing so much work over the past few years like breaking up with normal on my own with this idea of sameness right of fitting in of convention yeah who are you emulating like who have you defined personally as normal I think that a little deeper than that even is Many of you listening to this podcast, and I know Becca and I, have rebelled against, you know, kind of American normal. Mm-hmm. And so we're living outside of American normal already. But then within that, you begin to find new people to emulate. I was teaching at one of the local herb schools a couple years ago, and I was watching this group of graduating students. It was an advanced class in clinical herbalism. And I was talking to them about business and how to move from being a student to being a business owner. And what I was noticing in talking with them was that a lot of them did not want to become clinical herbalists and they felt guilty. I'm teaching this class on business supposedly so they can go off and become a clinical herbalist. And I had to say, okay, everyone, just let's just stop. I need to give you permission right now not to become a clinical herbalist. I know you've been studying for a couple years. I know that, you know, you think the expectations of everyone in this room and all your teachers are that you become a clinical herbalist, but you don't have to do that. You need to check in with you and figure out what your next step is and whether, you know, you're going down this path or you're going in a different direction, the entire room gave this humongous sigh of relief. Two women started crying, you know, and what I realized was herbalists are outliers already. We're rebels when you look at the mainstream of American society. But within our little clan, there are expectations. There are ideas of what's normal. 
And so, I mean, you know me, I I, like busted it out after I saw where this was going. And I was like, okay, how many of you feel like you're an evil person if you don't compost? Mm -hmm. Do you feel guilty if you eat meat? I mean, like, and just starting to really run through all these things that people had taken in not even from the mass culture, right? They'd already broken out of that. But then they got enculturated into their subgroup. This is happening all the time. And I think it really has to do with the way we're wired to be social creatures, to be a part of a group, to be a part of a tribe. And so how do you find that balance between being a part of a group while still not trying to come into this weird middle ground where your personality has become mush? Well, I think this is a really good point to make and something that all of us who are trying to break up with normal can like maybe ease up on ourselves around, which is this very primal desire to belong, to feel in a tribe, no matter like whatever, whatever actions or behaviors are normalized within this group that, you know, you're trying to be in or you've chosen to be in that desire to belong is, is really based in survival that this wanting to be a part of the tribe is so we aren't rejected and then killed by the saber-toothed tiger or having to deal with in the winter alone and maybe starve to death. So if we can just ease up on ourselves a little bit and be like, I understand why I have this desire to, quote, normalize my behaviors around this subgroup. It doesn't mean that, I mean, it helps me understand why it's happening, but it doesn't mean you have to do it. Right. Because what's really important to me personally in my business and the way I walk in the world is that I'm being authentic and that I'm living my true life. Otherwise, I'm the girl sobbing in your clinical herbalist business class, because eventually that stuff really gets to you. You know, you can't just shove it under the rug if it's not feeling right for you, you know, as much as you're belonging to the tribe. What does it matter if you're feeling like you're missing out on your true experience of life? I do think that. If we start to think about what belonging to the tribe in a survival sense means versus what I'm trying to find the right words, like, you know, becoming the same as everyone else, the tribe doesn't actually need you or want you to become the same as everyone else. Totally. Right. This is our misconception of the tribe. Mm -hmm. What a, a healthy tribe wants and needs is a whole bunch of different skill sets that come together so that we can survive the winter and the saber toothed tiger. If we're all the same, we don't actually have the skill sets to make that happen. So I think that some of what happens is a subconscious misunderstanding of what it means to be a part of the tribe. So there's a kind of a fundamental social behavior, which we call morality. And most of us fall within moral social norms. It could be that, you know, you're in polygamous relationships and the rest of society isn't, or, you know, there, there are like variations that, that some people would say are amoral, but usually I think if it comes, you know, when push comes to shove, if you're not hurting other people, if you're being honest and not lying and cheating, you're close enough to in that social pool and moral pool that you can swim with everybody else. So there's that baseline where we do want to be normal. I don't want to be the person who just went on Facebook the other day and murdered someone. Mm. And I don't want those people for my friends. (laughs) I don't want those people in my tribe. There is this baseline where we want to be in normal. But then above that baseline, I think that society 
actually thrives on our differences. But we can get muddy on, you know, where we're belonging and where we're not. I love that you just brought up that actually a healthy tribe celebrates all the differences and everyone has different skill sets and tools and behaviors that really creates this wholeness to the culture. And it's just like, sometimes we forget that, right? And we think sameness means belonging and then I'm safe, you know, and we're applying this to business here on this podcast. And that's really what got you and I to talk about this is someone that an entrepreneur that we both follow, Ash Amberger of the Middle Finger Project. She talks about the sea of sameness. And how in the online space that we're talking about online business right now, or even if you have a brick and mortar and you, you know, email market, send out emails to or newsletters to your list, there's this idea of the tried and true blueprint for success, like the proven way that user experience is really the most open rates, like the highest conversions. And so we see one person, I'm using we in quotes, we see one person do something that's successful and then we all scurry along and get in line and do it the same way, right? And that's quote normal. But the danger with doing that is, is that we pop out of who we are and what's authentically true for us. And I believe in business, that's like a deadly mistake where it's just because people can feel, right? Can feel when it's out of alignment, when it's inauthentic, when you're trying some, you know, trying out a dress that doesn't fit right. And that's the danger of the sea of sameness. When you really can stand out and people can see you for you, feel your essence, feel your truth, really relate to you, want to hire you, give, get your services, your whatever you make, whatever you do, is when they can feel how you differentiate. I want to make this super concrete for you guys. In doing that, I'm going to kind of expose how I screwed up in the past year. I had not even all that many people, but I had a couple of people within my tribe asking me to teach in a, in a way that was different from the way I was teaching. And essentially they were asking me to teach in a very linear fashion, giving information in a way that was comfortable for them in the way that information was given when they were in school, which is how many people online teach. And I was, I was actually a a teacher, a school teacher, and then college professor for many years. And truth, I, I wanted to be a college professor so badly. Like it was my dream job. And when I got it, I hated it because there's this way of teaching that's kind of, you know, you go from point A to point B to point C in a very linear fashion. And you're pulling people along by giving them little nuggets of information. And as you stack all those little nuggets of information, you end up with the big picture. And I don't teach that way. It doesn't work for my brain for really specific reasons. And when I was getting these requests for this very linear teaching, I started thinking, you know what? I'm doing this wrong. I'm teaching wrong. I'm not giving people what they want. And let's be really clear here. Of my 250 people in the class, we're talking like four people were asking for this. But we're trying as business people, as humans, to reach people and to make sure that we're reaching the entirety of our tribe. So instead of sending these people to someone who might teach the way they need to learn, I tried to change my teaching. And I have literally, I'm just in the past week have realized what I've done. So this is all still a bit raw and fresh. I tried to change my teaching. It's been about a little over a year 
since I went down this rabbit hole. And this is the piece that I want to make really concrete for you guys in the past year with me trying to like teach in this way that is not authentic to me and is not natural to me. My revenue literally is cut in half. So it's a really big deal when you choose a normal that like you kind of can't fit in. You can't shine in the way that you're meant to shine. You're not helping yourself and you're not helping those around you either. Thank you for sharing that. And that it actually directly correlated to your business revenue. Because I think that's super key for those of us who are building businesses who are like, please ground me in the tactical. I mean, I can share something similar. Like I started my business four years ago completely based on the sea of sameness, completely based on mimicking tactics I had seen work for other businesses that weren't even remotely like mine. I kept modeling my business model, which I've changed maybe 500 times. (laughs) I've changed it a lot. And it was all after a lot of like business coaches and B2B businesses that really weren't mine. And it's only lately when I've really taken thoughtful time to unlearn all of these practices that I've really felt a major shift in my business and in my own confidence within my business because I was such a dowdy person. I was like, oh, am I doing it right now? Hey, (laughs) hey, everybody, am I doing it right now? Will someone please tell me I'm doing it right? Will someone give me an A plus and a million dollars? And it's it's been only recently in the last year that as I've unlearned all this stuff and really dropped into what's felt good for me, just as you're doing coming back to this non-linear approach to teaching that I've been like, oh, (laughs) that's good. And then I've had people say like, I can see you now. I can feel you now. Like I want to work with you now. It's like, aha, there is something to that. Yeah. I think that there are so many different ways in which we fall into this sea of sameness. Some of it is we're trying to learn how to do something. Yeah. Right. So we're looking at the people who have done it before and we're riffing on what they did. So I think the question we always have to ask ourselves is, is this authentic for me? Am I doing this in my way, in my voice? And also is doing this at all authentic for me? So that's really important. But then I think that there's also these like deeper psychological levels where we don't even realize that we're trying to line up and be the same. That's what happened to me with this teaching thing, because in the background of how I teach is my own little shadow thing, that thing that I brush under the carpet, which is I have a learning disability. I didn't find out until I was in grad school. Like I was, you know, tested in grad school. Technically, I'm severely learning disabled, which my husband's Ugh. like, how is that even possible? You know, the, the system is broken if someone highly functioning like you is considered severely learning disabled. But essentially what it means for me is I have two very different brains and the brain that kind of can build things piece by piece by piece that that brain doesn't function very well. So I need a gestalt for everything. I need to see big picture before I can even look at component parts. Most people learn component parts and you stack the component parts until you get to the whole. So, you know, when we talk about trying to conform, 
and trying to be the same, where I fell into the trap was I was going to overcome this disability by being as good at linear thinking as everyone else. I was going to force myself to teach my classes that way. It, it was like this challenge to myself, right? It's like almost when people called me out on not teaching in a linear way, I felt like they were calling me out on the way I see the world. On yeah. the You're bad. You're bad at it. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, my trying to become a linear teacher had very little to do with the four people who asked for it and more to do with me thinking, I've got to do this. I've got to make my brain work like everyone else's. And what's been really interesting as I started to pull out of this is people have been saying, oh, thank God. Like, you know, we started working with you because you didn't teach that way. And, you know, then all of a sudden you got all tight and stiff and trying to shove things into these boxes. And so the feedback has been like, well, thank God you got over that because we didn't we didn't want that from you. And so this, you know, this is the other piece of the sea of normal is we think that other people want us to be normal. Right. Right. We're challenging ourselves. We want like we, you know, there's this norm we're trying to achieve. Like if I can teach this in this linear way, then I'm not learning disabled anymore or something. I don't know. Mm. But then also we think that other people want that from us. Right. I mean, what incredible permission you're giving all of us that like maybe don't learn in a linear way. I know right now, like just listening to you, I was remembering how much I suffered during college because the way it was taught, I mean, just I did not retain (laughs) information. And I was deeply passionate about the subjects that I just was like, so tired, not taking very good care of myself, which was like the culture, the normalized culture of college. And, you know, it just was taught in this very linear way through a book that I couldn't really integrate. And so when if you can teach in a way that isn't in that linear fashion, how many women are you going to impact and really give permission to then to first of all, take in your information, but then to take that approach in their lives with other people, it's really truly revolutionary to take to break up with normal and really take on what feels real and authentic and true because because we light up in a different way that way. And then people can feel and hear and retain what we have to say, what we have to teach. And then they in turn do it too. It's a ripple effect. It's a beautiful thing. And you know, the boots on the ground is revenue was down 50%. Yeah. Hello. I really hurt my business with these changes. Um, And I hurt myself. I mean, I, I got to the point a few weeks ago where my husband said to me, he said, why don't you just work on your books? This is not making you happy. This is not good for you. It started to affect my spirit because I was pushing myself into a box that wasn't wasn't comfortable, that didn't fit. So then what's the plan moving forward? So the plan moving forward is, is first off, we are all madly on the back end here, getting my programs back where they used to be, like updating them. You know, we're not just recycling old stuff from two years ago, but essentially getting rid of this whole through line of trying to teach linear courses, you know, and trying to create structure. Like I, I was trying to create this great, big, massive structure. And anyone who knows me will tell you I'm so not the structure person. I'm like, I'm like the spider web person kind of going off in a million different directions, <laughs> but it weaves into a big circle in the end. But these linear structures just, they're literally painful to me. We're reworking everything back to 
the way I like to teach, the way I think is effective, the way I think allows people to open their minds and to, to stretch themselves and allows me to be comfortable. So, yeah. yeah, so we've got a lot of, a lot of scaring going on on the back end here <laughs> as we do a great big cleanup. Yes, but I'm envisioning this like dew dropped, beautiful, intricate spider web that you're weaving. <laughs> you know, you're just like pulling up like the straight, like the, the train track, you know, the like iron train track that's moving in one line and you're building this beautiful web that is just way, feels way better than that like tough old train track. <laughs> well, that's a gorgeous image and I hope it's true. <laughs> I, it, it is. I know it. Yeah. Shall we, uh, shall we quick fire? Yeah. Hit me first. Okay. So on the theme of being normal and, you know, the places where our biggest weakness can be our biggest superpower, right? What do you think is a part of you that's just like not normal? Like you just don't do things the way other people do. You either see it as a weakness or as just weird or, you know, just it's something a little left of center. And how do you, how do you work with it or not work with it? Mm -hmm. I really like to go deep immediately with people, like talk about past lives and <laughs> ancestry. So hold on, hold on. Like, so this is one of those, like you're in a, you're in a bar and the yeah. person's sitting next to you and instead of like, like, Oh, Hey, I like your earrings. You're like, Oh, hey, did we know each other in 1642 in England? <laughs> I've pulled that a few times, but I have to sort of like, there's these little like starter questions where I'm like, where are we at? Can I, can I go there? Can I go there? But truly that's like my happy place. And that's where I'm the most powerful is when we, I can talk on that deep level or talk, you know, from an animal totem place or from like a nature connection place. I mean, a lot of the reasons why you and I connected so immediately, I've hid that for a lot of my life, a lot of my life. And when it would come out, you know, I remember in college, some sorority sisters called me weird, Ooh, weird, such a trigger word for me. And I'm trying to like reclaim weird is <laughs> like, that's who I am. But yeah, I've just always had this fascination with, with history and tribal culture and witchcraft and just sort of fringy stuff that really to me felt like lit me up and got me excited. So the more I've share that, I get both sides. You know, I get people who just like completely recognize it in me, whether or not they're interested in it or not. There's this moment of like, whoa, that's really interesting. Tell me more or me too. Then I also get like, oh, okay, that's cool. Walk away quickly, you know? So <laughs> it's just, you know, for me, it's been this, process, sometimes painful, sometimes always beautiful of just owning it, you know, because the more I've share it within a tribal context, like on Instagram or to my community that follows me at the Dabalist, I don't know, the more engagement I get, you know, the more money I'm making, the more, the more I'm connecting with people and honestly just feeling more authentically expressed, you know, like I have less, less I'm hiding, you know, there's less of that, like I have a dirty little secret and more like, here it is, here I am. <laughs> it's almost like a coming out party this year for, for me of just sort of owning that fringy thing that no longer really feels fringy, just feels like me. 
Yes. Congratulations. Thanks. I mean, it's still in process, <laughs> but it <laughs> feels good to claim here for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. You ready? Hit me. Can you recall one of the original visions you had for your business, whether it was herbiary or the online? So one of the original visions way back at the beginning, before I opened herbiary, was I wanted to help people to understand what herbs were good for their own personal healing and then have them plant those in the garden. And then I figured over time, I'd have like a whole bunch of these people with medicinal herb gardens and I could do classes on how to make medicine from the herbs growing in their own garden. The big flaw with it was I didn't want to plant their gardens. I'm not a gardener. Right. They didn't want to plant their gardens either. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the scheme kind of fell apart. Yeah. Got it. I want to share one of mine. Okay. I went to business school and our final project in business school was a full on pitch for a business. And my business was called Revive. And it was working with the wine grape growers of the Central Valley to help them instill sustainable growing practices. I had just learned about biodynamic agriculture and permaculture, and I was 22 and just like everyone should make compost teas and work with the moon and the stars. And the wine industry is so major in California that if we can just teach the farmers how to farm in this way, then we can just like heal the soil because so much of the land in Central California is monoculture and just like really stripped of nutrients and really struggling. And we just had a horrific drought for many years. And I was like, I can just like heal the California agricultural system. And then I actually took a trip down. I had, no, there were a few growers up here in Northern California who were watching and had me come out and talk to them and I was like no but my mission is really to go to the growers in Central California and I took a trip down there and they were all owned by one big company which owns Gallo yeah. the Gallo um, wine group and um, no one would see me <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted to talk about it so and then I had to get a job but man that I was so excited about that. And I still like love that girl who had that idea, but it was very ambitious for the time. And I really had no idea what I was up against. Well, it's also really interesting to me because you had people who were interested. Yeah. And you weren't interested in the people who were interested. So, you know, sometimes I think we like one of the things we do is we fail to push the easy button. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Sometimes we're so tunnel vision that we fail to push the easy button. And sometimes we don't push the easy button for ethical reasons or moral reasons or whatever, which is great. But sometimes we don't push the easy button just because we're kind of being pie in the sky. I'm looking for that in myself. Like, you know, when am I struggling more than I need to? Ooh, good one. Well, I think I didn't push the easy button there because I actually was afraid to do it. So... I think there was a subconscious part of me that was like, well, I'm, I'm only, this is such a mission driven business. I'm only going to work with the people who really need it. But part of me knew they'd say no so that I didn't have to do it. How right. about that? Oh, it was like this crazy resistance play within me. Business is wild. If you haven't gotten to the point where like your head's been turned around by your business, you will soon. 
not to scare you, just to prepare you. <laughs> you can handle it, but it's intense. It's the biggest learning curve of my entire life. And thank goodness, because life would be pretty boring without big learning curves. Totally. Oh, man, I'm so much stronger and confident in myself. And I know myself in such a deeper way that working for the man never could give me. So my friends, I hope that something in this has uh, inspired you to maybe serve normal. It's divorce papers. And <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> and just really stand in your own power. Feel into your own power so you can stand in your own power. Yeah, once you do it, you never want to go back. All righty. I, I always want to do my car talk thing at the end. You've wasted another 47 minutes listening to the Lunar Lab. Yeah, thanks for listening. If you want to share this with your friends, we would love it. We're trying to spread the word, the Lunar Lab love. And if you have another friend who you think is maybe a closeted lunatic, please feel free to share this episode with them or any other episodes and ask them to subscribe on iTunes. All right, y'all. See you in a couple weeks. See ya. Bye.